Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, welcome in. Beamaz and Beamer. Joe is uh, going to be talking with you in just about an hour from now, so you're stuck with me for the next hour. Uh, welcome to have you. I, there's so much stuff going on. Um, I was kind of struggling of uh, what to do. So I, I'm going to say for uh, you know the next hour or so, you can call in with whatever you want. There's so many things to talk about. You can call in with your reaction to, and this is something we're going to be calling, uh, talking about in just a couple minutes, uh, your reaction to what's gone on in the past 24 hours in the Buffalo School District, this report uh, from Investigative Post, and then the district's reaction to it. And we'll uh, hear a little bit from the superintendent, and we have uh, Sam Radford waiting to uh, talk with us just a little bit. Of course, our continuing uh, talk about the Skyway uh, coming up. If you have a, uh, anything on that, you can let us know later on. Uh, not just the Skyway, uh, tearing down the Skyway. Underneath the Skyway is the new carousel. The new carousel opens today. There's a ribbon cutting a little bit later on this morning. I unfortunately will not be there. I, can't, I, I cannot get excited about this carousel. I cannot stop talking about this car- this $6 million carousel um, that is right where the stage for all the concerts everybody loved used to be. Uh, that's going to happen later on. Your thoughts on that will take as well. Um, all after we get to our first topic of the day, and that is what's been going on in the Buffalo Public School District. We spoke this morning with Lane Dowdle, reporter for the Investigative Post, who wrote a story that appeared uh, just a day or two ago on the attendance issues that are happening in the city of Buffalo. Uh, Basically, uh, what the report lays out is one-third of students had satisfactory attendance from the start of the school year until the first week in March. And March is when the district began to allow some kids back into the classroom for the first time in over a year. Another third were severely absent. And that could mean anything from missing at least one day a week to school, uh, one day a week of school, or just not showing up at all. So that's a third of students labeled as severely absent. And this data obtained via a Freedom of Information Act request after the Buffalo School District uh, didn't provide that information to the reporter. So we spoke with her a little bit earlier on this morning about that report, and we heard from Kreiner Cash, the superintendent of Buffalo Schools. Here's what he had to say about that report. Just a piece of garbage. So shame on you for reading it, okay? Well, it's garbage because it's inaccurate. 
It's inaccurate. Didn't ask any of us about any of it. Okay? Garbage. Quote it. Print it. All right. So there is the reaction from Kreiner Cash, who is uh, almost taking a page out of the uh, Trump Cuomo book of answering questions on reports that don't make you look all that great, saying the report is a piece of garbage. You are, uh, you know, something along those lines for even looking or reading at that report. And they didn't ask me about it, even though they did ask to speak uh, to district officials. Our guest is Sam Radford, uh, a very active parent in the district. Um, Sam, uh, your um, group is is your group now called We the Parents? I don't want to get this uh, wrong. I know you've been with the District Parent Coordinating Council and several groups throughout the district. Yes, sir. Good morning, Brian. First of all, thank you for having me on. Yes, we are We the Parents. All right. Um, your, I guess, first, before this report even came out, this idea of attendance being a problem, um, I mean, was an issue even before the pandemic. And then with remote learning ushered in, I mean, it, it almost it didn't take the exposing of these numbers for people to know that this was going to be an issue. That one, if you count attendance just by allowing somebody to log in during a homeroom hour and uh, that's kind of a generous way of doing it and that's how it's been done. It might be an issue. And then looking at just the fact of whether it's connectivity, people losing interest in looking at their screen or something like that, you could tell this was going to be an issue beforehand, couldn't you? Yeah, and not that this was going to be an issue. It actually already was an issue. So, you know, the real challenge for us as a community is, you know, having the information. You know, I just heard the superintendent to react by saying the information wasn't accurate. Um, I think as a community right now, especially coming out of a pandemic, it's important for us to have the accurate information. So if, if the district is transparent and share that accurate information with us as a community, because we have to collectively do the work to ensure that, you know, we can, put, we can send as many resources, community resources, district resources, to support parents, to help children, especially you know, during the pandem- pandemic when it was most needed. Um, but coming out of the pandemic, I, and, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the last 24 hours, a lot of information has come out. One of the things that came out in the last 24 hours um, is the fact that the district is going to have literally, um, literally going to have, you know, uh, another $814 million, that's $76 million more than they normally have, actually going to have $365 million new dollars coming into the district over the next three years. And so it's really important and critical that, you know, we have accurate data so we can put together plans and strategies as a community to make sure we get all of our kids, you know, to be able to read, write, and do math on grade level and graduate college and career ready. Uh, on that accurate data, uh, this is kind of the story that was backed up when we spoke with the reporter earlier this morning, and then it's inside of her report that uh, district officials refused to discuss attendance data with her before working on this report. Um, officials claimed the district didn't have attendance figures related to distance learning. Um, she got the information via a freedom of information law request. And after getting this information, uh, the district still refused to comment on any of the information that they had, didn't make anyone available for an interview. And then you hear the superintendent yesterday say, well, nobody asked us, even though the attempt was made multiple times, uh, according to the reporter who we spoke with a little bit earlier. I, this, you know, combative response, 
I, what do you make of that coming from the district? Because I, coming from our perspective, certainly as a reporter, to see the work that was put into this, the information, how it was required, um, you know, leads credibility to the accuracy of the information you have. To write it off like that and call it garbage, I mean, that doesn't really reflect well. Yeah, you know, obviously there's a freedom of information request that, you know, means that that information wasn't able to be gotten just by requesting it. Um, I think that we don't do nobody any good. I think the most important people that we have to focus on in this situation are the children. And by not being transparent, by not giving the information that we all as a community need to make sure our children, you know, are, you know, getting a top quality education reading, writing, and doing math on grade level, graduating college and career ready. That's a collective responsibility that the superintendent is the educational leader of, and we need the data. We need the transparent information so we could collectively, you know, especially now, in this moment, where we got more resources than ever in the history of this district, and we need this whole community come together so these perpetual problems with attention, attendance, these perpetual problems with not having our children have in the past, have the resources they need to ensure that they are able to graduate college and career ready. Now that's not a problem. The money is there. So we need the transparent data. We don't need the, you know, emotional reaction, you know, to the request for the data. We just need the data so we can all know the baseline that we're working at so we can all collectively come together and make sure that the children get what they need, you know, the support they need in order for all of them to be able to, you know, again, you know, uh, read, write, and do math on grade level and graduate college and career ready. Yeah, looking at the attendance issue itself, what do you attribute that to? Because there's a few things at play. There is uh, the obvious issue that we've talked about a lot of connectivity, either uh, people not having the devices, not having Internet access, and that would be an obvious reason of why you're not you know, in attendance for virtual learning. But then there's other issues that you know, once the devices are out there, once everyone is connected to the Internet, there's you know, people just – deciding not to show up for whatever reason that might be. Maybe it's a leniency in the grades. They know that, well, I'm going to be able to pass from some way, shape, or form without showing up. Why am I bothering coming every day? Something like that. Uh, What have you heard from parents? Um, What have you heard within the district as what the rationale might be and where you think most of the reason is for the attendance issue that we've seen? You know, one of the things that, you know, I think people who live in Western New York um, forget about and have a sensitivity to, um, in some cases, is the fact that, you know, Buffalo, in terms of large cities, over $250,000, it is the second poorest city in the United States of America. And, And poverty has real implications. And for people, you know, who don't live in poverty, even even in Erie County, you know, uh, you know, Buffalo is double the poverty rate of everywhere else in the county. Um, it has the second highest child poverty rate. Um, so there are real challenges, things that most people who have access to resources take for granted, like, you know, their Internet connection, like having a device to get on the Internet, you know, all the having more than one device in a house. Those are not those are not services that you know are common when you know you're dealing with high levels of poverty. And so the issue becomes, as opposed to you know just focus on the fact that they're not uh, attending. If we can get the district, you know, and the community to focus on the fact that there is a real reason for every one of those parents, and as opposed to speculating about that, just go right to the parents and ask them. Find out what their actual needs is. Right now, one of the things that the district is supposed to be doing is getting input 
on how to spend the resources that are coming. But they're getting input from the you know, normal parents who are active involved, the normal community groups that are active involved. What we need is the processes where they go to every parent, you know, and get a, whether it's a survey, whether it's a phone interview, but they actually hear from the parents what their challenges are and put together a strategy that addresses their actual challenges, not what people believe their challenges are, and then solve actual problems and make sure that kids actually can get online, come to school. Because, again, like you said earlier in your, your broadcast that this is not a new problem. This this problem didn't just start in the pandemic. In some ways, it was exacerbated during the pandemic. And, and, and again, I don't even know that we've actually got to the core of the real problem here because we talk about the attendance rate, but there are some kids we just lost track of. We don't even know that number. We don't even talk about the fact that what about the kids who, do we, once, the, once the pandemic came, they didn't log on. They're not logging on for one period and not coming on, but they just, we lost track of them. I've, tar- I've listened to principals and teachers talk about the fact that we, that number, you know, maybe over 20%. Now, the district should just be transparent and give us the numbers of the children that we lost track of, come up with a collective community effort to engage every single child and use these resources to put together a plan to make sure every child gets what they need and are able to you'll rewrite new math on grade level and graduate college and career ready. The superintendent did make one point yesterday of how, you know, don't point all the fingers at the district right now. And there is something to that, right? I mean, at some point when you are talking about attendance, it is a a problem that goes back to the household that these kids are coming from. If you're not being forced by your parents to go to school, you're not going to end up going to school um, in a lot of cases. Uh, where where do we uh, put that mix? You know, how much of this falls on the district? How much of this does fall on individual parents? Yeah, I think it falls on all of us as a community. I think parents have clearly individual responsibility. Districts have responsibility. The quality of education have responsibility. Uh, have responsibility. The, the cultural relevancy of the curriculum has responsibility. Yeah. The, 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 the ability of teachers and administrators to relate to the reality of students have responsibility. If school was a place where ch- that was exciting for kids to go, where kids had access to the things like they do in suburban school districts where every kid had, could play sports in elementary school, every kid could ha- go to band and be part of all kind of activities, go to field trips, things that are not common in large urban school districts because we haven't had the resources to do that, school would be a place that people would want to go to. It would be exciting and attractive because they would feel themselves growing and developing. But when school, you know, becomes a place where it does not necessarily reflect, you know, the things that are important to you, it doesn't come from the cultural context that is relative to you, you know, school may not be as exciting. And maybe something, you, like you said, you have to be forced to do. But education shouldn't be something you're forced to do. Education should be something that excites and motivates. And if, it, and if it's done correctly, I think the money that the resources we have in this district now, with the proper leadership, we can take, take this moment, which I think is the most important moment in the history of Buffalo Public Schools, because we cannot use the excuse anymore. We can't afford it. We don't have the money. We have the money right now. All we need is for the community to come together and let's collectively meet the needs of every parent and child and let's get all of our children educated. Hey, you mentioned uh, the money, a record state funding for the school district during the 2021-22 school year, $814.7 million in aid from New York State. That's $76 million more than last year. And we're talking about a budget of nearly a billion dollars for the school district. And you look at what's happening. I mean, 
Sam, we were talking for months and months about the fight to even allow kids to be in the building, and there's still resistance to getting kids in the building full time. I people throughout the state, throughout the city, are looking at those numbers and saying, "How how am I getting my money's worth when these kids aren't in school?" Well, I think that's a fair question, and uh, and, and you when you say the uh, 812 million coming from the state, uh, that's not all of it. You got another 289 million coming from the federal government, in addition, you know, from the ARP money and the, uh, the, the CRSSA money. Um, so you're really talking about a $365 million infusion into the school district. So, again, I think with additional resources comes higher levels of accountability, higher levels of expectation. Um, there was a time in Buffalo's history, if you go back to 2006 to 2009, when Dr. Ladele was the chief academic officer, um, this school district saw – um, it's, it's reading scores go from 29% to 54% and saw his math scores um, go from 30% to 64% of the kids reading, writing, and doing grade level proficiency as math. So we've seen historically where, you know, with the right kind of challenge to the teachers and the right kind of leadership, we can make major significant gains as a district. We've done it before. It's happened 2006 to 2009. You go to the district's website, look up the district data, you see that we've made the changes that we need to make. So in this moment, you know, the question is whether we're going to focus and, and focus the resources in a way to get those kind of results in a short time. They did that in three years. So this is three years worth of funding. And the question is, can we get what we will hope to see? You know, um, I do some work as well with the Urban Think Tank. And what we uh, uh, talked about is wanting to see a plan coming to use these resources to see three years from now, at least 75% of our kids reading and writing and doing math on grade level. And then, you know, we want to see us go right now. If you, do, if you look at the state's uh, index for college and career and civic readiness, Buffalo's at the lowest level is a one. We would like to see Buffalo get to a level of three over the next three years in college and career readiness and civic readiness on that state index. So the work is cut out for us, um, but the money is there to make it happen. And, and I think if we come together as a community and not so much focus on blaming anybody, pointing to you know where the blame is at, but looking at all of us finding out where we can pitch in at and coming up with a strategy that meets the needs of children and not become preoccupied with how we, you know, give adults more money and make sure adults get better job security and just focus on the needs of adults independent of outcomes that we get with our children. Yesterday, uh, Superintendent Cash said that any criticism of the district is rooted in racism, that this report on attendance, um, that, you know, talking about this, it's uh, almost an act of racism and that's why this is being talked about. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, again, you know, one of the things that you can do when you have the numbers, you know what I'm saying, you can just simply look at the numbers and the numbers speak for themselves. So at this point, what we as a community need to do is objectively look at what the numbers are. If the numbers say that we're doing well, you know, great. Let's, let's do more of that. If the numbers say we're not doing well, let's be honest about that, transparent about that. Let's collectively make adjustments and move forward. I, I, the numbers... I don't know have anything to do um, with, with racism, but I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I think you know, obviously, there are issues of race that are impacting what's going on in our community. Buffalo is one of the most segregated communities in the United States, and so we got to come to terms with that. We got to address that collectively um, and put together a strategy that factors that, and then help move us forward. To just just to say it's racism and not say okay, it's racism, and what we're going to do about it, or it's racism and.
how we move forward from that space. I, he was, um, you know, almost calling the question uh, that questioning, you know, what you're going to do about attendance in the city, that asking the question is racist. I, I'm, that's a step over the line, isn't it? Well, at least from my perspective, it takes the focus off where the focus needs to be. I mean, at the end of the day, the focus has to be on whether we are collectively meeting the needs of our children and to whether we, you know, deflect that, you know, by calling it racism or deflect it by calling it anything else. You know, at the end of the day, we got to refocus the question on is whatever is happening meeting the needs of our children and are we getting the results we need? Because this is an education system. You know, we can't become preoccupied with social issues separate from the fact that our objective in this system is to ensure that every child, you know, is proficient and reads, write, and do math on grade level and graduates college career ready. That's the focus of this system. That's what we got to be talking about. We've got to bring the conversation back to that in the education system because that's where we've fallen short historically. We just simply have not successfully. If you go look at the data, you know, you go look school-to-school data on where our children are at when it comes to reading, writing, and doing math on grade level, you will see that we are looking, we are the district where 75% of our kids do not read, write, and do math on grade level. There's the, the majority of our schools have 25% of our kids reading, writing, and doing math on grade level. That's the majority of the school. That's the area where they are at. You're saying we, that's simply unacceptable. Superintendent said yesterday, parents must demand that that changes. And so that's where we, we the parents, are at. Um, that's where the urban thing takes is at. We are at this point at a place where we are demanding better results. We would like the, the, the superintendent talking to us about how we get those results and how we stay focused on that so all of our children are getting what they need. Sam, I appreciate the time and the insight this morning. Always great to talk with you. That's Sam Radford. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right. Thanks for uh, being with me here. Brian Mazarowski here. Joe is in uh, about a half hour from right now. Uh, you'll be hearing from him, so uh, just uh, bear with me for another half hour. So if you missed the first half of the show, we were joined by Sam Radford, uh, formerly the District Parent Coordinating Council in the city of Buffalo, now with a group called We the Parents, talking about some of what we heard from the Buffalo School District yesterday. It was a celebration that the school district had. It was not a celebration for a graduation rate or you know any academic achievement, but for record state funding that the school district is going to get during the 2021-22 school year. The district set to receive $814.7 million in aid from New York State for the uh, next year. That's $76 million more than last year. Um, and that does not include the federal aid that they're getting from uh, some of the uh, bills that were passed to aid schools in getting back to normal. So they will have covered that proposed budget of nearly a billion dollars. And with all of the stories that we've had about the Buffalo School District, the struggles of getting kids in the classroom, even after the guidelines allowed for it, you know, much less before, um, it, after the three-foot rule, it was still, or maybe we go down from eight to six feet instead. I mean, still uh, kids not being in school. And then this uh, news that we got about how many students were using those resources on a regular basis, attendance issues, uh, a very big problem in the city of Buffalo. Uh, the Investigative Post 
reporting only a third of students had what they call satisfactory attendance from the start of the school year until the first week of March. And why that period? Well, because March is when the district began phasing in that classroom instruction. A third of students were considered severely absent, meaning they typically missed school at least one day a week if they participated in class at all. And why that is even more eye-popping is when you look at some of what attendance actually means. The district relaxed the definition of attendance, so they're not marked absent as long as they log on to their homeroom in the morning. If they log on to their homeroom in the morning, you're marked as being in attendance, and it you know, really doesn't matter what you do the rest of the day in school. You're attending school for that day. Now, in the past, you have to show up to school. You have to actually be there uh, to be in attendance. But for virtual learning, all you have to do is chime into the homeroom, uh, ping in on Zoom, and uh, then you're in. You're attending. And even with that rule, that relaxed rule, you saw the attendance data that was there. Now, what did the superintendent say about that data, about the report? He was asked about it by our Mike Baggerman yesterday. Uh, the investigative post story is garbage, okay? Just a piece of garbage. So shame on you for reading it, okay? Well, it's garbage because it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate. Didn't ask any of us about any of it, okay? Garbage. Quote it, print it. All right, so we did quote it. We did print it. It's up at WBEN.com. He called the report garbage said they didn't ask us about any of it when in the report, and we spoke with the reporter earlier this morning, uh, in the report, this is from the report, district officials continue to refuse to discuss attendance with the investigative post. Last summer, officials claimed the district had no attendance figures related to distance learning, refused interview requests. Attendance data does exist. The investigative post obtained it in March under the state freedom of information law. District officials, though, through spokesperson Elena Kalla, refused to make anyone available for an interview. That's from the report itself. So they were asked on multiple occasions uh, a little bit about, can you help uh, understand? Help us understand why we're seeing the numbers be reported this way? And, and nothing from the district except when they're asked about it in public. They call the report garbage. They say, basically, you're garbage for reading the report. And then they say that, well, we were never asked about it when you were asked plenty of times to have some sort of comment on the report. It's the I've called it and I think all the reporters who have been following along with this over the past five years, it it comes from the the Trump Cuomo school of deflection of uh, taking a, a relatively expected and obviously a totally legitimate question and writing it off by just calling whatever the report is garbage, uh, saying that it, you shouldn't even be reading the report. It, it, I have nothing to do with it. They never asked me, even though you were asked, and writing it off and moving on to the next thing and deflecting. How was it deflected this time? And so the, what happens here is too often racism, flat out racism, creeps into your narrative. It gets right into your narrative. And you start blaming these beautiful children. You start blaming all the families. You start blaming all the communities of color about intractable problems. So it's, he turns it to racism after he was asked the question. Simply asking the questions or pointing out that there's an attendance issue in Buffalo is 
a racism problem. And I I take I think a lot of reporters would take offense to that because here's a report put together very thoughtfully using facts and figures that had to be obtained through a different channel because they weren't uh, sh- shared from the district, even though I, I think a lot of people would say attendance data is something that should be shared, especially when taxpayers, the collective community, not just people in Buffalo, but the entire state are contributing nearly a billion dollars to help make sure kids have a bright future and are educated. And when they're not showing up to learn, even in a, uh, you know, a not ideal learning setting with this distance learning, people deserve answers as to why this is happening. And you heard the deflection there. It wasn't just racism used as a deflection, but also that we shouldn't be blaming the kids. We shouldn't be blaming the parents. I nobody. I didn't hear anybody blaming anybody in that report or in the question. In that question, there is no finger being pointed. It's a question. The question is why. It doesn't start with finger pointing. A finger pointing might be the end result. Finger pointing is once you have the question settled. Once they're answered, that's when you figure out where can we assess where the problem is and help fix it in the future. So there was no finger pointing going on. All that was presented was a question. Hey, this is the information we have. A third of students are missing school at least once a week. And only a third of students have what we call acceptable attendance. Why is that? Where is the problem? You know, can help us understand a little bit why we have all these resources. You're going to have a record number of resources. Where is that problem? Where was the problem in distance learning? Why this happened? How are we fixing that problem? How is this money, this 72 extra million dollars, not counting what we got from the federal government, how is that going to help fix the problem? How can we be sure it's directed into the right areas to make sure this doesn't become a trend? To make sure this is a blip, even though the blip shouldn't have happened in the first place. To make sure it doesn't carry over to when students are back in the classroom. And by the way, with this record amount of funding, why aren't students going to be back in the classroom? Why will there still be a distance learning option available for at least six weeks' time at the beginning of the school year? Aren't we at that place where students should be back in the classroom? If you ask doctors, they were saying that for the past year. It hasn't happened to full effect in the city of Buffalo. It hasn't happened to full effect throughout a lot of western New York until very recently. It hasn't been allowed from the state of New York. But now that it is, uh, we should really start getting back. That's what the science would point you to. That's what the experts would say. And it hasn't really happened in full force there. So shouldn't this money be used for that? These are just questions of where... Should we be looking to help improve education in the city of Buffalo? It's an honest question. And it's deflected off as something that is either racist or you're pointing fingers at children. You're pointing fingers at family. Stop pointing fingers at the district. There's no fingers being pointed. It's just asking a question. It's looking for an answer. It's a significant investment that right now, if you ask people all around uh, Western New York, hey, Uh, Almost a billion dollars of taxpayer money is going toward the city of Buffalo. Is it worth it? I can't think of much things uh, that we'd rather spend money on than educating our kids, right? So is it worth it? Sure. 
I mean, if that's where my tax money's going, sure, it's worth it. I, are, do you feel like you're getting your money's worth? I think you get a very different answer. <laughs> how, how can you say you feel that you're getting your money's worth in this situation? When you look at this attendance report, you look at what the results are, and you look at what's the back half. We haven't even touched on the lost learning and changes in grading policy that basically mean that kids who do fall into this category of being chronically absent are still going to be given the opportunity to move on to the next grade level. And what's going to happen next year? I mean, that is going to be a mess. In the classroom where you have kids who have been there 100% of the time and then kids who fall into this severely absent category, and by the way, we're talking a third. It's an equal amount of kids according to the numbers. Third, severely absent, meaning at least one day a week they weren't in school. If they were in school at all, that's a pretty wide range, and now you're going to have both of them in the same classroom. What is the teacher supposed to do? You know, one person knows all the information from last year. One person just had to write an essay to catch up so that they could graduate and go into the next grade level. These are all legitimate questions. And when you take a question, when you take reporting, and this is your response. It's a piece of garbage. So shame on you for reading it, okay? It's garbage because it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate. Didn't ask any of us about any of it, okay? Garbage. Quote it. Print it. Well, that's your response. I mean, come on. That is, uh, it's one, it's offensive to the people who worked on the report. It's offensive to the people who are asking the question. It's offensive to the people who have spent their money on taxes to help develop the school district and help these kids learn and come up with creative ways to reach kids who aren't going into school, figure out how to reverse that trend, how to turn things around. I mean, it's offensive to them. And I think it's offensive to the parents and students in the school district that here's a problem. I'm not going to talk about how we're going to fix the problem. I'm just going to call that garbage. He did talk about one way that he's looking to fix the problem. So we got to get out and get everybody to say it's time to get up. And that's what Darren said. He had a strong family support. Nobody was perfect in his family, but he had strong family support who made sure that going to school was a non-negotiable. Number two, he had a strong church home. His mother was unrelenting about it every Sunday and on Wednesday. I've asked the pastors, don't come in and prostatize, but I want all the kids in a church home. I want them in there. That's what we talk about in our community schools. You know, church twice a week, let's try and get in school once a week. I I think that's the priority. But there is a point to be made there that there does need to be some outreach to show where the problem is. All right, what is going on here that we uh, aren't seeing your uh, son or daughter in school? And and what needs to turn around? Because something needs to change. I mean, there is not – this is not just the problem of the district, which is another reason why I, I find that calling the report and the question garbage is offensive because it's not as we said before it's not finger pointing it's asking a question of how do we solve a problem and it doesn't all fall on the district's shoulders i mean the district should be working to come up with solutions but it falls on large part on the shoulders of whoever's in that household if you have a person who should be in 5th grade every day not going to school 
I mean, at some point, that's not the problem of the school. That's the problem of whatever's going on in that house. Maybe there's a legitimate uh, problem going on that can be fixed with intervention. Maybe nobody's paying attention, as happens in a lot of cases. I, you know, There could be a million reasons. So it doesn't all fall on the school district. But when you're spending a billion dollars of taxpayer money, you can ask whatever questions you want. And it does deserve an answer. It deserves an answer other than it's garbage. And that's what we got yesterday. And, uh, yeah, that's... That's where we stand right now. I, let's just hope the kids can are allowed in the building in full force uh, coming up this fall. That, I mean, that's the hope. I mean, but that was an uh, – you can read much more over at WBEN.com. But to me, an unacceptable response to a completely legitimate question. I, there's so much other stuff going on. We spent most of the time at schools, but I was mentioning – There's still this Skyway discussion. We were speaking with uh, Congressman Brian Higgins a little bit earlier, and he said um, we spent a lot of time talking with him on the Skyway, but something he said that wasn't on the Skyway uh, is something you can read at WBEN.com. I just posted the story there when asked about the state of New York and if it's time for a plan. Congressman Brian Higgins said, I don't think we need a plan. I think we need action New York and Hawaii, the only two states in the country that don't have a plan for lifting all COVID restrictions. Every other state has either a set date, a set metric for lifting all restrictions. New Jersey was added to that earlier this week. Um, An end to all indoor gathering limits June 4th. That effectively ends all COVID restrictions in that state on June 4th. Pennsylvania said it's no longer going to require unvaccinated people to wear masks in public June 28th or once 70% of adults are fully vaccinated, whichever comes first. So you're adding more and more plans. New York doesn't have that plan to reopen to lift these restrictions. Congressman Higgins on with us earlier said it's time for action. We were told by public health officials, vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Now we have them. Let's get back to a sense of normalcy. You can read more about that over at WBEN.com. And uh, there's also the events going on down at Canal Side and I don't know if I can hold it in any longer. I mean, I I figure we've been kind of uh, rolling here, right? We've been getting a lot off of our chest. This is a good feeling to get this all out in the open, release some of this energy before the long weekend so we can all sit back and enjoy it, flip the page, happier times tomorrow. But come on, it's dreary outside. Joe's usually the positive one in here, and he's not here. So you're stuck with this. But I'm sorry. A $6 million carousel, the ribbon cutting happening about an hour from right now, right down to Canal Side, where the stage used to be. I love, and I have some pictures on my phone, I love the scene of downtown Buffalo, and it doesn't matter which uh, side the stage was facing. Back when it was facing the water, you had all the boats uh, watching it. Um, who who performed? I think Beck might have been there. You know, Flogging Molly was there a few times uh, doing when the stage was facing the other way. And then they turned it around, and you have all the great memories of the Boston's and Spoon and all these great bands playing the stage at Canal Side. And I think it's such a cool sight to see the stage there. You have uh, the kayaks along the river, and you have the Skyway um, right above everybody. It is a very cool scene. I love the picture. And uh, now we're talking about instead of a stage, there's a carousel. And the skyways are going to be there anymore. My two favorite parts of the picture are going to be completely gone if everyone has their way. The carousel's already there, so the stage isn't coming back. I, uh, you know, 
I hope it's a great success. I, I am to say I'm skeptical that we're going to get six million dollars worth out of that uh, carousel. That it's going to be worth the price tag. It might be a bit of an understatement. I think if carousels were such a draw, I, I feel like they would have kept it in the Boulevard Mall. That place is looking for a draw. You know, there's not a lot going on there. If people were going there for the carousel, they would have kept it in there, right? I mean, they would have kept in uh, anything that kept people going to the mall. Uh, but they didn't. Um, I, there might have been a reason for that. I'm not sure. Hopefully it's a draw. Hopefully people like it. I don't see, I don't see my son really asking to go on a carousel. That uh, Carousels were very popular 100 years ago, and there's a reason why, because there was nothing else to do. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if a carousel is going to be the big draw downtown. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it, it, there are lines wrapping around the Skyway uh, and uh, through the big trailers that are there, the police substation, all waiting to go on the carousel. But I, I, ju- I just have this feeling it's not going to end up that way. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, but $6 million carousel, that ribbon's being cut. I, I guess... Every time I'm mentioning a a price tag, by the way, it's just to go back to what we were talking about earlier today with the uh, stadium. Once you start to peel through the budget and what money gets spent on, it becomes a little bit easier to accept 50% of the cost of a new football stadium being, uh, you know, put forth by the taxpayer. You know, at least eight Sundays a year, that's going to make me happy. The carousel, even with uh, my uh, one-year-old, I don't know. We'll see. Hey, thanks for uh, being with us all week. We got Joe Beamer coming up next, and a great long weekend to everybody listening out there. Uh, the show, this show, will be back with you on Tuesday, right here on WBen. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.